You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. Uh, my daughter Mia is 15, Xander is 12, and Livy is 10. And uh, my daughter Livy is a ton of fun. Um, but her birthday is right after Christmas. Anybody uh, have a birthday right after Christmas? Okay. Today's his birthday? Happy birthday, dude. How old you turn? 21? 13. Well, you look like you're 21. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Go upstairs and have a donut on me afterwards. Yeah. That's what I like to give people on their birthday carbs. So, uh, and so who else around Christmas? So who else around Christmas? Okay, around Christmas. Anybody else? Okay, there you go. Very good. First service, I think it was like one person. And there was, there was like in a daze. And I'm like, how many of you in this church have birthdays? And like half the hands, like, I think I have one. Anyway, it was, it was, a, it was a wild ride, that first service. But we're going to do okay. Uh, we prayed for them. So we're, we'll keep praying for them. They're having, they need help. Anyway, so, but, so what happens is Livy's birthday is three days after Christmas. And so we just do our, we always throw our party because you know what happens, like, once you're after Christmas, people are just over it. Like, hey, we're going to have a birthday, like a birthday. Didn't we just celebrate somebody's birthday at Christmas? And, and then, you know, and they're like, we're going to do gifts. Like, didn't we? we we're, people are just over it. And so anyway, I, uh, so we make it a point to throw her a big party so that her birthday isn't kind of swallowed up by Christmas. So when she turned three, we, we did this huge party uh, because, you know, we do that as parents. We throw the biggest parties on the birthdays that they're not going to remember. Um, so anyway, but and, and this was like, we had to postpone it because she got sick the week we were going to have the party. So we postponed it for the next week. And then it was supposed to rain that entire day. And so that whole week we're praying for good weather. And then it was perfect weather on the day of the party. And she had been sick and we're praying that she'd be feeling better. And so kind of like a day before the party, she starts feeling really good again. So we rented, you know, tables and chairs, and then they had these little, like, white linens and all that, and then they had a, uh, a bounce house uh, that we rented for everybody. And by the way, whenever I rent a bounce house, uh, the first person in the bounce house is me before everybody goes in there. I go in there to test it out, and uh, I don't know if you've ever brought down a bounce house. I have brought down a bounce house before. And uh, me and a friend of mine, my wife still has this on video, and uh, a friend of mine, we were bouncing, and, and you know, uh, we are of, well, more him, but he's of the larger variety. Um, uh, I'm in fantastic shape, but him, he's, he's a real fatso. And, uh, and so, no, I'm just kidding. And so, anyway, I probably weighed about 270 pounds when I'm telling this story. And, uh, and, so, and, and so we're bouncing in this bounce house, and, uh, and we brought the whole thing down. And so my wife has a video. I'm caught up in, like, the side netting of it. I look like some kind of albacore tuna caught in there. It was a mess. It was a mess. So, anyway... Um, so we're getting ready for this party and I'm bringing out uh, a cooler with all sodas and a cooler with a bunch of water. And so I bring it out and I notice as I'm walking out on our patio that, um, a, I'm oh, sorry, that a, uh, a, a bird has, uh, shall we say, used the restroom all over the table and linens. So thankfully it's early enough. I grab all the linens and I throw them in the wash and then I put them in the dryer, and then before everybody gets there, I put them out, and uh, I got, so like, no, like it never even happened. Then, uh, so I get them all out, then I go in to grab some party supplies, bring them outside, and another bird with some, shall we say, intestinal problems uh, had come by and just, you know, relieved himself all over the tables again. I pull the 
the linens, throw them in the wash, throw them in the dryer, and right as people are getting there, I lay them out. Then I go inside to grab a couple of, I start putting the food outside, and I, I, I walk over, and another, one of the tables, a bird has kind of left his mark, shall we speak, and, uh, and at this point, I don't even care anymore. And I just grab a napkin, and I just cover it, and I'm like, whatever, I don't even care. Show up or don't, what, you know. And, uh, and so, and I don't know if you do this, maybe you do, but I have this, you know, kind of moment at the end of the day where I just kind of lay in bed, and I'll just pray, and I'm just thanking God for whatever happened that day, you know, just having some gratitude for whatever happened. And, and so, and I remember that night, I was laying in bed, and I'm like, uh, Lord, it was supposed to pour rain all day, and I'm so grateful that you held it back so we could celebrate Livy, and, um, and I'm so grateful that you healed her and that she's doing well, and, and, uh, and God, I understand that you allow things to come into our lives to build up our faith, but, but I do have one question. Um, what's up with those birds? That was a nasty business, right? And uh, prayer is this funny thing because sometimes we pray and we see God work immediately. Those are my favorite times. Like sometimes you pray and things are working immediately. And then other times you pray and birds are pooping all over your life. And you're wondering why that's happening. Um, and then maybe you've had the experience where you're, you're, someone asks you to pray and you're not really sure what to pray for them. You ever have that moment? Because um, there's, there's moments where people want you to pray and you're not really sure. You ever pray for two people to get together? And then they do, and then it's horrible, and then the person, then they blame you for praying for them. Like, whoa, man, I'm just, I'm not, I can't be held responsible for things I pray for. And, uh, and, and I'm grateful. I'm, I, I always have this, I'm so grateful that God is sovereign and has veto power over all of my prayers because there's stuff that we pray for, and, uh, and I do love that there's moments where you're like, God, I need you to do that, and then God's like, yeah, I ain't doing that. And then there's other times you're like, God, you know, you can do whatever you want, as long as you don't do this thing. Whatever else, just don't do that thing. And he's like, you know that thing? That's what I'm doing. And, uh, and you know, and you have, that, you have that moment. And the reality is, is that, and this is an important thing, because sometimes we struggle with prayer, when it gets answered, how it gets answered, and all that. But here, here's the thing that's important to know. If we knew what God knows, we'd answer every prayer the same way he does. Let me say it again. If we knew what God knows, we'd answer every prayer the same way that he does. The problem is, and maybe you've noticed there's a bit of a gap between what we know and what God knows. Have you, ever, have you noticed that? If not, then we probably need to have a conversation after the service. Uh, but the thing is, is that, and, and, and that's the problem. Because listen, everybody prays, right? I even love the fact, like even atheists, when they're like, I don't pray. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do. Uh, just, let's just wait till one of your kids gets sick. And then you're going to become very open. Uh, right? And I'm telling you, I have, I have these friends, friends who are atheists, and then, uh, you know, somebody gets the flu, and they're like, hey, you know, if you're the praying type, I'm like, now we're very open, aren't we? And, uh, but, and we will pray for you. Um, but one of the reasons, I think, that we don't pray first, and even though I think everybody prays, sometimes we don't pray first. And one of the reasons we don't pray, pray first is because we don't recognize the power that's found in prayer and the power that's found in calling God on God to act. In fact, one of my favorite stories about prayer is found in the book of Acts, chapter 12, about this very subject. The apostle Peter has been taken to prison, and the believers get together in, uh, in someone's home, and they're praying for Peter to get out of prison. God causes this earthquake to happen. An angel shows up, leads Peter out of the prison, and then the angel disappears, and Peter's like, oh, I, got, I know my way from here. So God answers the prayer, breaks him out of prison, and Peter goes to the house of where the prayer meeting is taking place. 
He starts banging on the door and no one answers. And of course, no one answers because they're in the other room praying for Peter to get out of prison. And so, but finally, this girl whose name is Rhoda, she goes to the door, sees it's Peter, gets so excited that she forgot to answer the door. In fact, uh, I, I'll, I'll just read it to you in Acts chapter 12. It says this way. So when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside to tell everyone, Peter's standing at the door. And they said, you're out of your mind. I mean, this is, they're like, will you stop fooling around? We're, tra- we're praying for Peter to get out of prison. Yeah, I know. We're praying for Peter to get out of prison. He's at the door. Stop it. Let's start praying and get serious. And, uh, and this is, th- I just, I love it. And then, uh, <laughs> and so the, the next verse is, uh, is really my favorite. Look what it says. Meanwhile, Peter kept knocking. <laughs> this is, I'm telling you, man, the Bible is hilarious. Uh, and then it says, when they finally, they open, like, what is this? What is, you hear that noise? What is that? Someone's at the door. And this girl wrote, it's probably like, it's Peter at the door. So I've been trying to tell you. Then they finally opened the door. And they were amazed. They're like, wow. I didn't think that would actually work. We we're praying for him, but we just figured we'd visit him in prison tomorrow. But, and then he, here he shows up at our house. You know, it's amazing. And so, listen, we can find ourselves in the place where we just aren't sure. We're like them. We're like, we're praying, but we're not really, well, I mean, I'm praying that it's going to happen, but I don't think it's actually going to happen. And that's a frustrating place to live. And uh, because, and, and we always, we find ourselves in, in those moments. And, and then here's the other thing is that we can find ourselves in a place where we've prayed maybe for a week, for a month, for a year, and we still haven't seen the result or the answer that we're looking for. And, uh, and those moments lead us to start believing one of two things. We start believing either A, uh, prayer doesn't work, or B, prayer just doesn't work for me. And neither of those things are true, that prayer works, but sometimes there is a work that God wants to do in me and in you and in us that's even greater than the answer that he wants to give. And there's something that happens to us in the process of praying where God changes us over a series of, uh, over a length of time as we continue to pray about the same thing. And that's part of what we're going to talk about in our time together. So we've been in a series, if you're not aware, in the Gospel of Matthew that we've been calling the story. And the reason why we call it that is because we believe that if you will learn his story, that it will change yours. And so Jesus has been, as we've been working through our way through the Gospel of Matthew, he's been gotten to the point where he's giving the greatest uh, and most famous sermon of all time, the Sermon on the Mount. And he's been talking to us in particular about that we need to consider what we do, not just the actions that we do, but consider the motivations behind the action. And so when last time, if you were with us, he talked about giving. And he's like, look, when you give, and he said, giving's a good thing, but look at the motive behind why you do it. And now today he's going to talk about when you pray. And what's the attitude behind the prayer that this is what God is seeking, that we are seeking not just something from God, but we're seeking God himself and for him to do something in and through our lives and the way that we seek him and the attitude by which we seek him matters. So we're going to start, and some of this is going to be very familiar, um, but we're going to start in verse five. And here's what Jesus says. He says, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corner of their streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room and when you've shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. 
And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they'll be heard with their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. If you pause there and give me your attention. First thing we're going to look at if we want to pray like Jesus is we recognize this, that prayer is connecting with God. Now, the thing that Jesus says here in these first couple of verses is completely countercultural because the rabbis in Jesus' day taught the exact opposite. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, had set up a system where you would pray at 12, at noon, and at 3 p.m. No matter where you were, you would stop and pray. And that sounds pretty good. But they worked it out so that they would always be at the very busiest intersection in town. They'd always be in the middle of the marketplace. They'd always be in a place where there was a crowd of people, and then they would stop whatever it is that they were doing so that they could be seen by everyone. And listen, that's not connecting with God. That's performing for an audience. And Jesus contrasts that performance prayer with entering the secret place or the prayer closet. And when Jesus talks about uh, a prayer closet, understand he's not talking about the place in your home where you keep your broom and your mop and the rollerblades that you bought that you swore that you would wear, but you haven't even tried them on since Obama was president. All right? And so, but now, but the prayer closet was, was something like this. So uh, this is a traditional uh, Jewish prayer shawl. I bought this in Israel many years ago. And so the way it would work is every Torah-observant Jew would wear this um, on their person at all times. And so when they were going to pray, they, they, they weren't, once again, the closet wasn't an actual room. When they were going to pray, he says, when you go into your prayer closet, they would then pull this shawl over their head, and then they would ascend. This was closing the door. And now they would shut the entire world out as they, they would pray. And this is the thing that Jesus is saying, is that when you go into, if you're going to pray, if you're out in the middle of the street and you want to pray, that's fine. But just close this up so that you don't make it a show. And by the way, one of the reasons why they, they wear this, you'll see this on the end. And if you, if you are ever driving around or walking around and you see someone and they have these long tassels, uh, they'll, they'll have two on the front and two on the back. And uh, this has five knots and uh, the reason why it has five knots is each knot represents one of the five books of Moses. And these are called, this is because out of the book of Numbers chapter 15 about uh, the four corners of your garment. These are called tzidzi in Hebrew, uh, which is spelled, if you're a note taker, uh, T-Z-I-T-Z-I-T. Uh, so it's tzidzi unless you're from Alabama, then it's t-zit-zit. And, uh, and so... And so, and you would have these, and the whole point of walking around with them is so that you would have some interaction, that you would, your hands would rub against them. You would hold on to them throughout the day, and it was just this reminder that God was with you, that the law of God was with you, that whenever you ran into some kind of challenges, that you could trust in the promises of God that if you call unto him, that he will answer you. And so, but Jesus, once again, because part of what's happening is, is that when we go into the secret place, right, there's, it's not flashy, it's not loud, it's not a show, there's no selfie stick, it's just a private place where I can shut out the outside world and connect with God because that's what, what prayer is about. And once again, what you're going to find is, as uh, prayer is one of these disciplines that draw us close to God, and you can see it. I mean, when, when you hear someone pray, you can tell, I mean, if if the, how they've known God, walked with God for uh, any length of time. Because sometimes, 
um, you know, once again, people can feign spiritual maturity and then they start praying and, and it's, it's, you know, it sounds, you know, hi God, how are you doing? And it's Bob, um, uh, uh, Frankwiz. I don't know if you remember me. Uh, we met through a mutual friend. And, uh, and so, you know, and it, once again, it's not, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a weird thing. Um, but then there's people that you, you get around and when they start praying, you're like, whoa, this is not their first rodeo. They have been rolling deep with Jesus for quite some time. And, uh, and I'll tell you who I think, and I noticed this, I mean, all my kids, um, I feel like have that, 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 um, that, that ability to really uh, pray from the heart. But I, I noticed this in my son Xander when he was very young. And uh, when he was around three or four, I'm like, man, this guy prays like he and God are best friends. And, uh, and I remember one time he was about four years old. He prayed a prayer that was so fantastic uh, that I got up from the dinner table and wrote it down so I wouldn't forget it. I'm going to read it to you because I have it written down. And uh, so this is four-year-old Xander at the dinner table because um, I usually have one of the kids pray at dinner. And he's like, he's like, God, thank you for this food and for our family and our friends. And, and God, I've been playing the Jake and the Neverland Pirates game on DisneyJunior.com forward slash Pirate and Princess Summer. And there's this level where Jake has to ski down the hill and it's really hard. And my mom says that I need to relax. It's only a game. Games shouldn't get me upset. So I just take a deep breath and I say to myself, calm down. And so, yeah, so Lord, thank you for making everything and uh, for all the awesome stuff in the world and, and uh, help us have a great day. And God... I hope you have a great day too. In Jesus' name, amen. Right? That, was, is, that, that is a great prayer. All right, great prayer. Great job, buddy. And, uh, and listen, and that is just, listen, I just, I, I love that. And that is God's heart for you. When you pray or give or serve or, or fast without any fanfare, it builds your relationship with him and it begins to change you and it changes your future like nothing else can. And now we're going to get into the familiar territory, and you probably know some of these words, but Jesus continues. So as he talks about, hey, if you're going to pray, don't pray like this, which leads to the question, well, how should I pray? And so Jesus answers that before we ask, and he says, in this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespass. If you pause there and give me your attention. Second thing I want to tell you, if prayer is connecting with God, that's the first one. The second thing is, is that prayer is changing my perspective. And uh, maybe you grew up in a religious tradition where you memorized these words, and maybe you prayed these words, and you never stopped to think about the words. And they're so powerful. And once again, um, when Jesus, and this is kind of an interesting thing, and once again, if you pray the Lord's Prayer, I think that's fine, but just realize that Jesus is contrasting people that pray repetitive prayers. And so the whole point is, if you want to pray the Lord's Prayer, that's fine, but don't only pray the Lord's Prayer, is that this, this is a template for us of the kind of prayer that we should pray, not that we have to pray these exact words. But if we will model our prayers after the Lord's Prayer, uh, then we will be closer to God, we'll be more forgiving, more grateful, and free from the guilt of the past. So let's do this. Let's walk through, if we can, in the time that we have, let's, let's walk through this phrase by phrase so that we can really understand what Jesus is teaching us. So here's number one. And that is acknowledge the relationship. Uh, Jesus begins and he says, when you're going to pray, pray this way, our Father in heaven. Jesus contrasts this 
because he says that there's people who pray and think they're going to be heard because of the many words that they speak or because of the repetitive language that they speak or because of the way that they pray or the length of their prayer or the approach that they take that will cause God to have to answer them. And Jesus is saying, that's not the right approach. There's an even better approach, realizing this, that God is your father who loves you and wants to hear from you. I mean, think about it. Do, do you listen to your kids because they uh, approach you the right way and say the right words? No, in fact, you probably, uh, you know, your kids will probably approach you the wrong way all the time. Uh, but you answer because of the relationship. And so, and it's just, it's just, it's, by, it's the nature of, of, of how it is. So uh, I had this happen a while back, one of my kids, and I'm not going to tell you which one. Uh, because I have this agreement with my kids when I tell stories that they don't really want me to tell, um, that we have a financial arrangement. And, um, and so, because I'd be like, hey, I want to tell this. Oh, I don't really want you to tell that story. I'll give you a couple of bucks. You know what you can add to that story, really make it better? And, uh, and so anyway, but anyway, if that, that only, the compensation agreement only gets triggered if I say their name. But if I just say it's one of them, I keep the few bucks to myself. So anyway, I'm just trying to save a couple of dollars if you don't mind. So anyway, so one of them comes into my office and sits down and says, hey, what's up, my dude? Can I ask you a question? And, uh, and I'm like, I don't know. Is your dude in a question-answering mood? Uh, maybe your dad will uh, you know, be more apt to answer your inquiry at this time. And, and, and here's the funny part, right, is that even if they, they, they come the wrong way or the, whatever, it's like we're still going to answer. Why? Because the relationship is always the best means by which to, to, to get the answer. And the same thing is true with God, that the, the relationship is always the best means by which to be heard from God and the best means by which we can know that God hears us. And, and you and I can be confident. And Jesus is going to expound on this idea in chapter 7, that if, if we love our kids, and we do, that if we love our kids and want what's best for them, God does even more so. And we can be confident in that when we come to him. Here's the second one. So he says, our Father in heaven, the second thing he says in verse 9 is, holy or hallowed be your name. The second thing is acknowledge God's position. Hallowed uh, is a word that means holy. It means separate. And... Um, I think one of the things that gets lost in the modern church that we live in is the holiness of God. In Old Testament times, uh, people were very aware about the holiness of God because if you didn't approach God the right way, you died. I mean, the, the high priest went into the very holy of holies once a year, and, they would, and one of the things that they would do is that they would tie a rope around his leg. And if he, didn't, if he was just not living the right life and not taking the responsibility seriously, he would approach God and drop dead, and then they would just kind of pull him out. Like, well, this guy didn't make it. Who's next in line? And, uh, and they would just kind of move things along. And so, but, but now, we, we approach God through Jesus, and, and sometimes we act like Jesus is our pal. Or, you know, or, 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 you know people have these, the shirts, Jesus is my homeboy, which really makes me realize, like, I don't think you know what, who Jesus is or what a homeboy is. Um, and so, but we think that Jesus is somehow like our pal or one of the people that we hang out with. And, and uh, we kind of treat him like this. I don't know if you remember this guy. Um, uh, you remember my buddy, um, right? Remember the song, my buddy and me like to climb up a tree. My buddy and me were the best friends that could be. My buddy, my buddy, my buddy, my buddy, my buddy and me. My buddy, by play school. And so, 
And that was, and so this was, this is your buddy. I mean, you can hang out with them anywhere. Your buddy's never going to tell you no. Your buddy's not going to be like, hey, should we climb up that tree? You know, you're not really good uh, with heights. Um, hey, you know, uh, maybe we shouldn't do that. And so, but your buddy's never going to, your buddy's always going to be with you, right? And I, by the way, I've always, it's always been strange to me. My buddy has always reminded me of this guy. Um, <laughs> always. Always reminded me of Chucky. And it's, uh, it, it's kind of, I, I always feel like, you know, they were, these guys, they were both friends up through elementary and middle school, you know, and then Chucky started smoking meth in high school and they kind of lost touch. And um, anyway, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong, but we can get rid of that because Chucky freaks me out, man. I saw that movie when I was a kid and I, I, I don't want to see that again. So, but a lot of times I'm telling you, we just think of, we think of God as our buddy. And uh, like God just hangs out with us and he's never going to tell us wrong. You know, God is my co-pilot. It's like, I, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember this as a kid. There would be those, that was like a very famous bumper sticker that people had. And I, even as a kid, I wasn't even a Christian, but I remember as a kid seeing that people had like those God is my co-pilot bumper stickers. And I'm thinking to myself, if there are only two options for pilot, you and God, we're going with you. Like maybe you should be the co-pilot. In fact, maybe you shouldn't even be anywhere near the controls based on your life. Um, and so, but that's just a thought. But anyway, whenever we pray, uh, our Father in heaven, we acknowledge the relationship. When we say, holy is your name, we're reminding ourselves that while God loves us and Jesus died for us, he is a holy God that is deserving of our worship. Then he goes on in verse 10, and he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Number three, if you're a note taker, is that we want to invite God's rule. And what does that mean? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is inviting the rule of God for things to be done on earth the same way that the will of God is done in heaven. And I don't know if you've noticed, but this isn't heaven. And that's a struggle. And, and I know that intellectually we understand that. But whenever the brokenness of this world rears its ugly head, we are sometimes taken back by it. We're taken back by how ugly the brokenness of this world is. And we start thinking like, well, I, I, I knew it was broken, but I didn't think it was that bad. And so we have a tragedy happen this week in Texas. And, 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 and we are, 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 we're grieved by it and our heart breaks. And, and then, um, you know, the whole, all the stuff kind of starts winding up again. Um, and, and, and we start wondering, well, why didn't God do something? And why couldn't God stop this? And why didn't God stop this? And, and what, what, what happens here? And once again, our heart breaks because God's will isn't being done on earth as it is in heaven. We get angry because God's will isn't being done on earth like it is in heaven. And the question that we have to answer, especially in light of this, because um, maybe theologically you, you, you have some level of understanding with this, but I can tell you this, the person that you work with that sits next to you and they turn and they say to you, how can you be a Christian? And you watch something like this happen in the world. I mean, how does, how does, how does, that, how does that work? That you, you worship God and yet God allows, I mean, how, does, how do Christians respond to something like this? And so I want to talk about this for a minute because I think it's important. So whether you're struggling with this and if you're not, then um, I can assure you of this, there's someone that you know that will. So let's start, let, where do we start? We've got to back up a little bit. So let's start with a belief, a belief that I have that God is completely good. 
That is a belief that I have, that God is completely good. Now, I, just make, I didn't make that up out of thin air. It's out of the book of 1 John. In 1 John chapter, five, uh, 1, John chapter 1, verse 5, says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now, some people struggle with this. And they th- it creates, um, I mean, this has been a struggle since about 300 B.C. Uh, when there was a, a Greek philosopher by the name of Epicurus. And I think we have a picture of him. Uh, yeah, this guy looks like a real hoot to be around. Um, you know, if you've seen one Greek philosopher, seen them all. But um, anyway, Epicurus um, created, he, he had a, 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 a theological problem that he thought was... Uh, just you had one of two choices, and because either way, it's, he thinking, thinking he put um, theologians and ultimately God in some kind of checkmate, um, and it was called Epicurus's Dilemma. Um, this came back really strong in the 18th century with a skeptic named David Hume, and, uh, I, and you're like, I never heard of Epicurus, and I never heard of David Hume, but you probably heard of a very recent philosopher uh, whose name is Lex Luthor, and uh, well, let me have him, you can hear it in his words, check this out. What we call God depends upon our tribe, Clark Jones. Because God is tribal. God takes sides. No man in the sky intervened when I was a boy to deliver me from daddy's fist and abominations. Mm. I figured out way back. God is all powerful. He cannot be all good. And if he is all good, then he cannot be all powerful. That is Epicurus's dilemma. That if God is all good, he can't be all powerful. And if he is all powerful, he cannot be all good. And I mean, so how do, you, how do you deal with the dilemma? All right, so if you'll indulge me for a minute, let me back up and let me tell a different story where I become the subject of the dilemma, and, uh, or, or any parent for that matter. So one, uh, one day, a few years ago, I take my kids, uh, we typically go out for lunch on Fridays because Friday's my day off. So um, we all go out for lunch, this is a few years ago, and as we're walking out of the, the restaurant, my kids see this green caterpillar. And they start going crazy over it. My kids love caterpillars and multi-legged bugs because um, when they were real young and they would always, every night would ask me, dad, tell us a story. And I would make up a story about this British uh, centipede named Maximilian Centipede. He was a secret agent for uh, the British military. Um, And so, obviously he's British. And uh, and so, anyway, so I tell all these stories about Maximilian Centipede and uh, his you know, all the stories and whatnot. And so then, so they see this caterpillar and they're like, dad, can we take him home? And I said, no. And then they, they just, dad, please. They begged us, they pleaded that one of them started crying and, and, I still, my, and Carrie and I still said, no, so let's stop. And, uh, and, and what's the dilemma? The dilemma is what if my kids at that moment said, you know, if my dad uh, was all powerful, he would bring this good into my life. And if, and if he was all good, he wouldn't keep this good from me. But now there's no way that my dad is either all good or all powerful or able to bring us joy. Um, now here's the problem with that dilemma. The problem with that dilemma is that those green caterpillars are poisonous. And because I want my kids to be well, I said no. So the real issue was, it's not the dilemma of one or the other, it's that there was a lack of understanding in the person asking the question. And the point is, is that God's delay and not doing what we want does not mean he lacks power or lacks love. It means that you and I lack understanding to know what he's doing. And contrary to what Lex Luthor thinks, God's ultimate goal for me is not my happiness. 
God's goal for us is our transformation to be everything that we were created to be. And this means that sometimes God will do things that I do not understand, or sometimes that God will not do things that I don't comprehend, because God has his eye on something longer term than right now. And God will even make decisions that will make him look bad in our eyes in the moment, because his goal is our ultimate good, not just momentary happiness. And by the way, to answer Lex Luthor's question about uh, his dad, God knows, and God weeps over the brokenness and the violence in this world. And God has a plan. That plan is called the gospel of Jesus Christ, transforming lives as the church of Jesus rises up to reach a lost world. But God, listen, God will not violate your ability to choose. Because for him to violate your ability to choose would, be, would cause him to not be completely good. And here's the other thing that's important for us to recognize, is that you and I cannot make, and I'm speaking societally, you and I cannot make evil choices and then hold God responsible for not stopping us from doing the evil. That is an argument from absurdity. And so what happens is, is that sometimes, you know, we, we, you know, as a society, we have rejected God, we've rejected the things of God, and then something terrible happens in the world and we get angered that this isn't heaven. It makes no sense. And it, this is true for us, not only societally, but it's true for us personally. That God is completely good. And that means he is so good, in fact, that he's willing to be misunderstood by you and I in the moment so that he can do his ultimate good in us. And when someone says, well, I mean, couldn't God have just stopped the shooter? I mean, he could have. Yeah, he could have. Absolutely. So let's examine that. If God stopped every bullet, and every evil thing from happening, there is a word for that. Heaven. And this isn't it. Wanting it is a good thing. Desiring it is a great thing. This just isn't it. In um, the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul says it this way. He says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against his will, all creation was subject to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait for the eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. So let's talk a little bit more about this, but couldn't have God have stopped the shooter and stopped every evil thing from happening? Let's drill down on that a little deeper. If... The supreme ethic that God has given to us is the ethic of love. But there cannot be, this is very important to understand, there cannot be, we cannot have love unless there is the freedom to not love. This goes back to our very first parents. Eat of every tree you want except that one. Why even put the temptation there in the first place? Because for love to be real, there has to be the ability to not love. Um, and Because we are not like 
Uh, my daughter Livy used to have this Elmo doll that every time you pressed it, it said, Elmo loves you. But listen, Elmo doesn't love you. You know why? Be- a, because it's a toy and because Elmo has no choice. There's no, you can never press the button and be like, eh, Elmo's okay with you. Uh, Elmo's a little annoyed with you. No, Elmo always loves you. And because Elmo always loves you, he doesn't even have the ability not to. And that's just not real love. You see, we want God to stop every bullet and keep every disaster from happening, but this isn't heaven. And every day, the world reminds us that this isn't heaven. And remember, we live in a world where, they, where we have said as a culture the same way that the religious leader said to Jesus, we will not have this man to rule over us. And this is the very issue that we are experiencing. We have rejected God as a society, and now we blame God for the consequences of the God that we've rejected. And so, once again, mankind was given a, free, a will, the ability to make choices to follow God or reject him. And for God to deny a person the ability to make the choice, even a terrible one, is denying that person the ability to be human. Because when we ask God to intervene, we are asking God to rob us of our ability to love, and in doing so, rob us of our ability to be human. You see... Let me put it this way. We are asking the question of God stopping the bullet because we were created with the ability to choose. Do you know that if God stopped every evil thing from happening, we wouldn't even have the ability to ask the question because the freedom of choice would have been taken away. And so we have the ability to choose because we were created to love God and love other people. This is why these moments hurt us so deeply. They are an offense to what it means to be human. And we intrinsically understand. Why? Because in Ecclesiastes 3, uh, Solomon writes that God has put eternity in the hearts of every human being. We intrinsically understand that we were created to love and these moments violate our humanity. But a Christian is able to love God supremely and trust that there is a meaning to all of this madness and that there will ultimately be justice. And by the way, if I can say one more thing before we move on. One of the critiques that people have of the Christian faith, people who aren't Christians, is the idea of um, eternal punishment. I can't believe that a Christian would believe in something like hell that's so barbaric. Doesn't God love everyone? And it's like, yeah, God loves everyone, but not everyone loves God. And, and here's the thing. All of these folks are strangely silent now about this idea of eternal punishment. Because listen, if there is no life after this one, if there is no eternity, then there is no real justice. This person took 21 lives, and justice was not him getting one bullet, not by a long shot. Justice is him standing before the God who created him, who was able to dispense real justice and real vengeance on those uh, who think that they're going to get away with something. Listen, if there is no eternity, everybody's getting away with a whole bunch of things. If there is an eternity, nobody's getting away with anything. And every time you pray for God's kingdom to come, you're praying for God's rule on the earth like it is in heaven. And my friends, that day is coming. Jesus is coming back. And it's sooner than you think. So, moving on. He says this. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Verse 11. This is inviting, number four, God's provision. Now, in this culture, bread was part of the staple uh, that every person ate at every meal. It was impossible to stay away from carbs in this culture. And uh, 
Sorry, I need to break the tension a little bit. And uh, when Jesus teaches us, give us this day our daily bread, it is a provision, or it is a petition for God's provision in our lives. And too often we think that if we're going to get ahead or succeed, it's got to happen because of our effort or strategy. Now, God invites us to work hard. God invites us to uh, give all of our effort and energy. But God is our ultimate provider. That means that everything we have is from him. And so why is it daily bread? Why is it not weekly bread or monthly bread or yearly bread? Because one of the principles that Jesus is going to expound on later in chapter 6 is that we shouldn't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got its own trouble. Instead, let's deal with today. Let's pray for today. God, give us daily bread that will keep us close to you, that'll keep us seeking you. That's a good place to live. The fifth thing is what he says in verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Number five is to model God's forgiveness. I want you to notice, why does he say forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors? Why is that? It's because forgiving Forgiven people are forgiving people. We freely forgive because we have been forgiven of so much more. We've been forgiven of so much more than we actually are forgiving to the, some other person who sinned against us. This is why Jesus is telling us to pray this way. Because when we have trouble forgiving, it's because we have forgotten how much we've been forgiven of. The funny thing about forgiveness is that when someone hurts you, You can't stop thinking about it. I mean, you just kind of keep replaying the scene over and over and over in your head. And you know, uh, you know how you know you've you've released the other person, you've forgiven them. You stop running the tape every time you see them. You stop running the tape every time you think about them. And that doesn't mean that it just magic. You just magically forget it. That's why. And and we're going to talk about this when we get to chapter 18 of the Gospel of Matthew. But when Jesus, uh, Peter tells Jesus, I mean, how often do I have to forgive somebody who who commits this offense against me? And he's like, seven times? And Jesus is like, well, 70 times, seven times. And by the way, that's not like him doing math. It's just, you just keep forgiving. Because the idea is, is that I, I forgave you of that. But you know what happens is that sometimes you forgave them today and you got to forgive them again tomorrow. Because you're still not totally over it. And then you got to forgive them some more the next day. And the next day. And the next day. And you just, so that's why Jesus, the, the question is, how often, when I forgive, when am I over it? And Jesus is saying, you're over it when you're over it. You're over it when you keep forgiving. And you know what happens after a while? You stop thinking about it. That's one of the ways you know that you're over it, that when you see that person, you don't only think about the incident or what happened. Listen, it's not easy. But once you forgive, you begin to realize that the days you spent in unforgiveness was a prison. You had no peace. You had no rest. The only thing that you had was torment because of what someone had done to you. And we just, it keeps happening to us as long as we refuse to forgive. That's why, and we've had these conversations before with bitter people who just, they keep, they're still talking about the same hurts over and over again. And they just, they can't move past it. But when you forgive, listen, you are opening the prison and setting yourself free. This is why forgiveness takes three intentional decisions. If you're a note taker, number one, number, number one is it takes being forgiven to be able to forgive. And if you haven't made a decision to receive the forgiveness of God because Jesus died from you, then today is the day. We need God's power to help us forgive and to walk in that forgiveness. 
The second thing is, is that it takes recognizing that it's about you. I know a lot of times we spend a lot of time in church talking about how it's not about you. This is one of the moments where it is about you. Don't wait for the other, like a lot of times we think about forgiveness, like, well, when that person apologizes to me, I'll forgive them. No, you can forgive them right now. The person doesn't have to apologize. The person doesn't even have to be alive for you to forgive them. But listen, you have to decide to do it. Because because of that other person, you can't stop thinking about what they did. And listen, can I just tell you something? And we think about this. This is the thing you need to think about whenever you're struggling with forgiveness. The person who sinned against you is not thinking about you. And you're tormented by this, but they're not thinking about you. And somehow what they did is controlling you. Listen, the Lord wants you to be free. And the only way to be free is to forgive. Here's the third one. It takes deciding to forgive right now. That you don't wait till next week or next month to think about it. Forgiveness begins with the decision that you make in your heart today. And, and don't think that you can forgive. You can. You just have to decide to. I mean, what's the alternative? You and I have all seen the alternative. You ever, seen, you ever met, talk to someone who was hurt by a former spouse and was never able to let it go? And was hanging on to that? Did that make their life better? Did, did hanging on to that make, well, you know, they, ha- they hung on to the unforgiveness and it made their next relationship a joy. No, it never does. They're miserable and they're bitter. And I'm not even saying they're wrong in that the person, what they did was wrong. But what I'm saying is because we just couldn't let it go. It destroyed us. And so who do you need to forgive? You got to forgive your parents. A family member, a friend, an ex-spouse, one of your kids, a co-worker, your boss, whatever it is, forgive them and be free. Be free. Because that's the question that you need to answer is, do you want to be free? Jesus at the pool of Bethesda, when he talks to the man, the question that Jesus asks him is, do you want to be made well? And Jesus, and the guy starts giving all kinds of excuses. He's like, but do you want to be well? Well, I need somebody to help me in the water. And No, no, no. Do you want to be well? That's the question. Are you willing to forgive someone who hurt you for the sake of you being let out of the prison of your own bitterness, hatred, revenge, and misery? That's why, my friends, the Lord's Prayer is so important. Every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're saying, God, please keep me close to you. Because when I'm close to you, I can forgive people who hurt me. I can stay out of trouble because I'm close to you. And that's why Jesus wants us to forgive so that we can be like him. Listen, when you, the longer that you and I walk with God, you know what one of the joys is? Is that we begin to take on more of his attributes. Someone who's mature in their faith, you see that they become a lot more gracious. They become a lot more loving. They become more merciful. They become more forgiving. This is why unforgiveness towards someone else isn't acceptable to God. Because it doesn't reflect who who God is and it doesn't reflect what we've experienced from him. Listen, some of us, some of us think that God is keeping score. And so, whenever we mess up, God's keeping score. And then we think that somehow we need to reflect that. Listen, God is not keeping score. God is erasing the score. This is what Jesus did when he died for us. He wiped the slate clean. And some of us need to extend that forgiveness to someone else. But they don't deserve it, I know. 
but you do. You deserve to be free because Jesus has forgiven you so that you can be free. And sometimes, listen, we think that if I forgive, then I'm going to let that person off the hook. My friend, you're letting yourself off the hook. You're setting yourself free. But to extend forgiveness, you have to have experienced it. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for that reality and that promise. And I pray, Lord, that as we have experienced forgiveness, as we've come to know Jesus, that we would be people who are quick to forgive. God, not because someone else is deserving of it, but because it's a reflection of who you are. It's the work that you've done in us. And so, God, I pray that you would do that work. We pray for the, these precious families in Evaldi, Texas, and we pray for your comfort and your peace. We pray that in the midst of all of this madness and what the enemy intended for evil, that somehow, in some way, we can't even understand that what the enemy intended for evil, that you would bring good. And we pray in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.